Richard, you picked the topic for tonight, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and so tell me, what did you want to talk about? I mean, I, I was thinking uh, kind of a few things, but as I wrote it, started down. I got a lot on my mind, so I was just trying to keep it coherent and started with a preview of what 2019 was going to look like leading into 2020. But primarily, you want to talk about the Green New Deal, right? As well, yes. We're going to use that as sort of like the, the focal point of conversation. Not the Green Party Green New Deal, but the Blue Green New Deal. So like the Scion, the Scion New Deal, essentially. Exactly. Um, Cyan? <laughs> that's a little that's a little color joke for my colored fans. <laughs> I, I only bring it up because mm. normally when people pick the topic for a show, what they do, you know, sometimes mm. is they drop reading material into the group DM. So we know, you know, so we're all working from the same frame of reference. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you drop in the group DM? <laughs> Well, you know, I did drop some information about the 2020 primary schedule, but I think you, you, you know what? No, no, I'm going to I'm going to answer that question for you. I'm going to answer that question for you. You dropped the calendar for the Democratic primary debates in 2020, and then you dropped the audio preview for Mike Tyson's biography. Uh, Undisputed. In which he only talked about drinking Hennessy and practicing witchcraft. <laughs> this is not an attack. I'm not attacking you. This is not. This is not a gotcha question. I just want to know how mm. the Green New Deal fits in with drinking Hennessy and practicing Santeria. But I feel like that's your goals, though. There are Chad goals. There it is, right there. Doing nothing but drinking Hennessy, practicing witchcraft, and enslaving white people. Like, right? The last time I drank Hennessy, it was with the president of the Campus Republicans. Um, and we were watching Star Trek The Next Generation, and we were drinking crunk juice, which is Little John's favorite drink, uh, Hennessy and Red Bull. It's terrible. Um, but we got really drunk. <laughs> And we decided to go as a joint costume for that Halloween as Jordy LaForge and Captain Riker from Star Trek TNG. But you're not answering the question, Richard. Fair enough. Well, you know, I had to. I, I like. I, I. I don't even know how I actually stumbled upon it, but w- once I heard it, and I. I don't know why I even clicked it, but once I heard it, I, other people had to hear that. Like, but if I want to tie it to the Green New Deal, what I'm going to, how I'm going to do that, is that Mike Tyson has a story his story is very different than the story that that i've heard in the media and how much of it's true is you know you know up to for people that are more interested in that than i am but what i've noticed is just how powerful the media narrative about what something is uh influences how we perceive it and with the green new deal it's not just uh, the corporate media that concerns me. It's it's what's happening on the left and the rhetoric and the and the, the what I'm seeing, how I'm seeing it's framed, and what it means for the United States versus what it means for the rest of the world. Okay, fair enough. So, I'm going to just transition. Yeah, whatever. Damn. No, that was that was shit. That was shit. That was, that was bullshit. <laughs> congratulations, <laughs> um, congratulations. Uh, Mike Tyson is the land of contrast. You you, you got it. Hey, if you need 30 seconds of entertainment, I suggest reading or listening to that audio preview. Go ahead. It's way longer than 30 seconds. But anyway, anyway, so let's talk about the Blue New Deal, right? Let's talk about the Democratic mm-hmm. Party's uh, Green New Deal, which uh, is that like copyright infringement? Can you do that? I, I don't respect uh, IP laws 100%. I don't right. respect real laws. It's about IP laws, definitely. But I, isn't that like a, you know, thing? Can you do that? Like, or does, like, or does like Ojama Baraka show up at your house and like, just like slap the shit out of you? I don't, I don't know. Oh, uh, you know, co-opting language is going to be big this this year. Before we even get into that, give us some details about the Green New Deal, since you couldn't seem to link an article. Oh, well, I got, you know, I, I could have been more helpful on that. But just to give some background on basically what that is, you got roughly three versions uh, of the Green New Deal. You have the Green New Deal that existed under the Green Party and has for a while with four major pillars, uh, one being an economic bill of rights, two being a green transition, three being real financial reform, and four being a functioning democracy. And so you see quickly that uh, within the Green Party's proposal that 
the green energy aspect of it is only uh, a, a, a small part of it or only part of it. Uh, the economic bill of rights is very critical and I won't break down everything that's in here, but essentially a worker's right to a living wage, safe workplace, uh, fair trade, organize a union, uh, quality health care, uh, tuition free college, affordable housing. These are things that are wrapped into the Green Party's Green New Deal as as it's been articulated. Then you have uh, the the UN version of, uh, you know, some sort of green stuff. That one's a bit more complicated and a lot more wordy. But basically, it boils down to uh, countries investing significant parts of their uh, GDP, one to two percent, one percent for developing countries, two percent for developed countries like the United States uh, of their GDP towards uh, green energy innovations and so on and so forth. Uh, as of most recently, the money that was promised to be spent for that, about two percent of it had been rolled out and, and they needed it to be at 50 percent in order to keep pace with some of the prevention goals of, you know, staving off complete climate disaster it's like we're already basically we've already accepted that there's going to be some moderate climate disaster going on because we're just going to be too slow to act and we're right now we're fighting over whether it's going to be catastrophic and to that point we have the green new deal strategy from the sunrise movement which you've probably heard about through uh alexandria ocasio-cortez or uh one of the other 40 some odd uh, people that have signed on. Uh, this one is much more vague and, and loose. And it is starts essentially as it exists now was just a proposal to, for a select committee on a green new deal. And to that, the democratic establishment said, well, we have this old climate panel thing. Why don't we just resurrect that instead? And so essentially they killed what was only a very modest proposal, which was already critiqued for having too much influence but, uh, from corporations and not enough influence from labor and, and so on and so forth. That was already watering that down wasn't even enough. They had to just go ahead and try and revive the climate committee, which means basically doing nothing. And so as far as I can tell, without completely... Uh, removing democratic leadership and essentially dissolving the democratic party, there, there isn't going to be a political vehicle to uh, bring a real green new deal that has a uh, comprehensive approach like uh, the, the green new deal as articulated by the green party. And then as well, take into consideration the impacts this will have on the global South, that, that there just won't be a viable political party so long as the Democrats have power in Washington. I, I just want to congratulate the Green Party on on both like modeling their New Deal after the five pillars of Islam. <laughs> and second, everyone's always angry at Jill Stein. And I really don't. Oh, I do know why. Because like, because like they're projecting the Democratic Party's failures onto her. But like, it's just really funny. Because like I've met Jill Stein on multiple occasions, like I don't think there's any love lost between me and her and you, Rich, and her and Adair mm -hmm. and her. We have very personal history with her and mm -hmm. the Green Party. I just think it's funny that like people, the argument that like a two billion dollar election machine was foiled <laughs> by like kooky jill stein and susan sarandon and like killer mike is hilarious right i don't know why people are angry at her today probably something probably something fucking stupid maybe she like she like she like fucking tried to defeat muller with like rose quartz or fucking i don't know some kind of crystal <laughs> magic uh, i was gonna talk a little bit about what i've been seeing on twitter and in the progressive media sphere in general uh, about uh, and uh, talked about B Beto or Beto or I'm just gonna call him Robert because that's easier so <laughs> <laughs> happens to be his name too so that works uh, but uh, it, basically uh, David Sirota uh, put out a couple tw uh, tweets and an article on Capitol Maine uh, kind of looking into Beto's record and the backlash to it 
I think says a lot about what we're going to be seeing going into 2019 and going and following into 2020 about how everything is going to be framed and how the media is basically just given up on even maintaining the illusion that they're going to be trying to inform people and that they're just going to, you know, push a narrative well, that Bernie isn't the obvious front runner with Joe Biden's since he has his, you know, Obama connection and hasn't really been critically analyzed lately has a lot of name recognition as well. Like those two are the obvious front runners. Instead, they're trying to pretend that there's a lot of uh, viability in the 30 plus candidates that are going to be running next to them. For, to against David Sirota from basically everybody in sort of that sort of centrist media class about his Beto, I wouldn't even say expose, Right. It was mostly just what you would normally do when it comes to basically we're at that point in time where, you know, you're investigating who's funding who, you know, like what are the what are actual stances on things like what the like what are their chances like who's going to be vulnerable in the primary who's going to be vulnerable in the general election who has the best chance of beating Trump who's best for America and basically what he has some refunding from he has a lot of funding actually from fossil fuel industry like is that, is that like sort of the, the crux of it and his wife is like a billionaire heiress but mostly he's like a much more the fossil fuel industry well the first one that set uh set everything off was about the the fossil fuel money which uh to be clear comes from people within the fossil fuel industry but in the individual donation category so under uh, amounts of the individual limit but go ahead no, no, I'm, I'm just curious. I, I think that, like you said, and this does fit into the whole Green New Deal uh, conversation, you know. Yeah. For me, I think, and we didn't talk about this last episode, but I do think we should talk about it now because that's sort of be the crux of the conversation. Um, race is a big issue. It's always going to be a big issue in any election. But for me, mm-hmm. I think considering what the ICPP, not the insane clown posse posse, but, you know, <laughs> the international climate posse posse. Um, right put out when it comes to the timeline for basically, you know, climate apocalypse, you know, one of the things I'm going to be waiting for in the 2020 primary season is going to be who has a coherent message about climate change and how we combat it. Like we're like, we're not, we're no longer in that kind of place where plausible deniability is cute. And I Mm -hmm. think I said it on Twitter, you know, what I worry about is that the tools that the Democratic Party have become accustomed to using to argue their supremacy in our political system over Republicans are generally incompatible with solving climate change. We can sit here all day and argue about like the value both perceived and material of symbolic anti-racism or symbolic feminism or symbolic LGBTQ equality, the value in being able to like whip out your, you know, well-worn copy of your favorite Bell Hooks book and mobilize language like intersectional. We can talk about the value in that, but there is no value in symbolic environmentalism. Like there might be in symbolic anti-racism or symbolic feminism. There is no value there, right? There's no value in acknowledging climate change or rather using your party's acknowledgement of the science behind climate change to argue for your moral and intellectual superiority over the other party who doesn't believe in the science of climate change while simultaneously doing nothing about it or not doing enough about it because you have to worry about the markets and all these other sorts of like weird neoliberal bullshit. You know, if anything makes you look dumber, right? You know, at least the Republicans they say like, we don't believe that shit. <laughs> so we're anything about it. Like where we're, the Democratic Party wants to get both the benefit of believing or claiming to believe climate change, it's man-made and it's all science behind it, but none of the you know, perceived downside of actually combating it and, like, and standing up to like polluters in big business to actually stop it. And so the whole Beto is taking large amounts of money, maybe illegal sums of money from the fossil fuel industry insofar that you can be insofar anyone can be um, prosecuted for campaign finance <laughs> law violations except for Dinesh D'Souza, the one person who's right. ever gotten like convicted of that shit. Um, you know, that's a big red flag to me, not from like the is he a viable candidate? Because I think we've seen the Democratic Party is not afraid of sort of touting their amiability to <laughs> the you know, fossil fuel industry. I, I you know, a la Obama, you know, we, we're, we're producing so much oil. I can't believe no one's saying thank you, you know. Right. Uh, speech but like just if that stance gets us all killed if it actually leads to sort of a long-term climate disaster i think that's kind of the question and i think that's where the the conversation about like optics and favorability and 
all those sort of cute democratic strategist things fail us because, because you know, no matter how high Obama's favorability is, no matter how many points Beto wins by, no matter how many points anybody wins by, if they don't have a coherent message about the climate, we're all going to die. Like, I'm fine nope. with living in a Mad Max like apocalypse world. I can run, I can run a six minute mile, and I can like fucking bench press three times my body with like a fucking ant. But right. you know, is that what everyone else wants to live in? Probably not. No, you know, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I I think that people want to try and avoid that. But and like you said with the IPCC report, essentially where we're at already is trying to mitigate how bad it is, not prevent it. Like the the prevention window, it, we're basically already past it, even if you don't account for our political system and its ineptness. But like, so having, like you said, a coherent policy about, you know, one that isn't going to end us, end up with us dead is important. But then we also have to be able to reliably believe that that's actually what you're going to implement with a plan or some sort of strategy to make it happen. Like that it, it, it's, for too long, we've most political, a lot of political issues have been able to languish and, you know, kick the can down the road as an expression that Congress and the Senate is very familiar with. And, and they've done for with a variety of things by, you know, just putting band-aids on bullet wounds after one after another. But we're at a point at a crux and at a point where climate change and some of the uh, associated uh, situations like uh, energy shortage and uh, water shortages and the mass migration that uh, will come with it. With those types of problems, uh, we need like radical changes and that our political system doesn't seem ready for. But even if like you have to have something, you have to be offering at least a coherent policy that doesn't end in our death. And uh, I'm concerned that even the blue new deal doesn't, doesn't quite reach that. Go ahead. You know, I'll just piggyback what you said and echo it a little bit and say not only do we need coherent political policies, but I think that we, we're talking about an entire kind of socio-political revolution. Mm-hmm. We really have to change the way we conceptualize the climate and the effects of climate change and what are you know what constitutes a legitimate solution. The problem with neoliberalism is that it makes you think in very specific terms about individualism, you know, about individuality. And that puts certain blinders on you when it comes to solving problems. And so, I mean, all of the, like, even looking at kind of some of the language that has risen out of, I wouldn't say the center left, you know, the liberal media space, right? With your, your Voxes, your Vice, your, you know, I don't know, what's another liberal fucking outlet? I don't, I don't read. Uh, um, <laughs> Spiked TV? Uh, whatever, it's not important. You know, it, like, they all echo these neoliberal sort of solutions to problems. By that, I mean, it's like, oh, what's the biggest thing, what's the best thing you can do for the climate change? Like, have less kids. Like, what's the best thing you can do for the climate, you know, to fight climate change? You know, don't drive your car. Don't eat meat, right? That got me into a lot of trouble. I, I can't fucking <laughs> deal with the good big with big veggie today. It's fucking vegans, man. Oh, man. Like, you don't, you don't want to kick that nest. <laughs> That was like eight days of people yelling at me about like why like why the human trafficking that results from fucking the quinoa industry is kind of better than the human trafficking that results from the meat industry or some shit. I don't even care. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you see people kind of fall into the trap of thinking of individualistic solutions to problems when really we know that 70 percent of all sort of emissions is, is corporate corporations. And it's not mm-hmm. even like a lot of corporations, it's like five of them. What's the old saying? Like, we know who's killing the planet. It's like seven people and they have names and addresses. Right. But that kind of argument is not really coherent or legitimate within the neoliberal structure. Within neoliberalism, people want to know how like their individual consumptive choices and their individual behavioral choices can be have meaningful impacts on solving large scale structural problems. I would also say, and again, I do want to get a dare right in here. That, you know, solving climate change, like solving for the, 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 our current climate crisis, like that's antithetical to a perpetual war, point blank. The mm-hmm. military is one of the biggest polluters on the planet, especially our military. Ultimately speaking, like you can't be a champion for both like perpetual warfare, whether it be in the Middle East or North Africa, or even just like an actual ground war, or even a cold warfare, really. Because like, you know, we know, again, that one of the, the requirements for actually solving the climate crisis is going to be international cooperation. Like that's it. 
If you can't, if you can't solve climate change on the local, individual, even the national level, you, it has to be an international operation. There. So, I think I think bringing up veganism and this idea of doing things as an individual is really important because that's kind of what's been sold to us, right? Is that well, if the government won't do something. If you just do this thing that I'm doing, then everything will get magically better overnight. And I'm a much better person than you because I do it. And the reality of that is it's bullshit. The thing, the reason why veganism in particular appeals to so many neoliberals is just about all of them are wealthy enough to afford veganism. Like it's not like veganism is some radically cheap option. Where I'm from, there's exactly one grocery store really in the, in the, in the city, right? So you have to either go to the Whole Foods in the bougie neighborhood, or you have to drop, you have to, it's a good hour and a half, two hours by bus to get to the other grocery store where meat is much cheaper than vegetables. And it's going to last you longer. It's going to fill you up. You're going to actually have some shit. And it really, what it is, is it's a poor shaming really. Cause they all believe that, you know, everybody has access to grocery stores and farmers markets or farms and you can just grow food and it's so much, but it, it, that's not the case. It's bullshit. That's one. And two, it's another way that they can shame people for the things that they do choose to buy and be like, see, you're contributing more to the destruction of the planet than I am and you're doing it in this really shitty way that's, you know, usually coded for, like, for race. So like, for example, I like Jordans. I'm a sneakerhead. I like to go ahead and get shoes. And so when I spent like $200 on a pair of Jordans that happened to have leather, one of my white vegan friends was like, wow, you just are really committed to killing the planet. Not only do you eat meat, but you're using all these animals and da 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 And they're so caught up in this idea that if they just, if everybody just was more like them, then the world would be such a great place. But the reality is it'd still be racist, it'd still be sexist, it'd still be homophobic, it'd still be a shitty burning you know about to be on fire rock in the middle of space and we're all going to die anyway so just shut the fuck up two questions well i guess one question and one statement actually uh first are you what they call a hype beast i almost spit my soul out no i'm not a hype beast i like a sneakerhead is not a hype beast hype beast typically like clothes as well as shoes i'm like my particular focus is in, i like jordans i like other nike brand shoes so i collect those Okay, yes or no would have sufficed. Um, comment time now. Yeah, no, you're right. I don't want to get too deep into veganism because I, I, I honestly can't deal with them. <laughs> I honestly can't deal with all the, the heat. The kitchen is too hot for me. Uh, yeah, but don't at me for none of this, what they say. <laughs> Go ahead. Let me tell you, if you want to piss off some fucking white people, insult veganism or insult like fucking polyamory or insult introvert, being introverted or some shit or gaming, and they will come out like fucking the xenomorphs and aliens too, just like ah, actually PewDiePie is not a Nazi. Eh, actually, <laughs> veganism is the best choice you can make to save the environment on a personal level. It's like okay, whatever, dude, fuck off. <laughs> Aren't you a little lightheaded from like, your lack of iron, like, dude? Calm down. <laughs> oh, um, but no, and I but I think that the, the important part is that, like problem with neoliberalism and how it sort of relates this issue is that. Like the solutions lend themselves towards eugenics and neo-Malthusian thinking, right? And so like sort of argument that, oh, well, the reason the climate is bad and the reason, you know, we're in this sort of situation right now with the climate change is because the earth is overpopulated. And then that becomes a conversation of like, well, you know where the population is really, really, you know, dense and bad and the pollution is really, really dense and bad? Places like India, Places like China, places like, not even China really anymore, places like, or definitely China with the pollution being bad, but now, I mean, people don't really point to China anymore because it's developed now. Places like Africa, like, you know, Africans have a lot of children. Look, look, look at that. You know, maybe the problem with the environment is that these countries need to have a little bit less children. Of course, forgetting the fact that like a family of five in sub-Saharan Africa probably has the carbon footprint of a single white woman in fucking Manhattan by nature of their consumption. But that kind of logic is just used to reinforce like old colonial stereotypes about like, hey, you know what? They're just not using their resources properly. They're not using their land property. And not only was that an excuse in the past for colonialism, that sort of narrative has now been adapted into sort of like an existential threat language. Where it's like, oh, well, the reason the climate is changing is not because, let's say, uh, ExxonMobil is fucking burning trash at the rate of... 18 billion pounds a day it's because i don't know like some tribe of kosa have cows or some shit and like that can only end one way essentially 
Like that can only mm. really end one way, which is sort of the justification for more stringent, like more stringent policies on the global south. And I'll also add, like, frankly, it's it sounds shitty too, but this is an argument I've heard made, and it's an argument I think is important. It's real fucked up for like the global north, for like America and Europe, to basically destroy the entire planet and the entire environment by like rapidly industrializing and not really thinking about it, and then kind of putting these pressures on the global north to not develop and not develop to the level at which they might otherwise have developed if given no kind of pressure in that sense. And yeah, it may be you know helpful for not destroying the planet, but it does kind of enforce this, I want to say, hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, that's what concerns me the most is that when we see all this co-opting of language and this co-opting of ideas and, and like... Uh, the, the framings of how we're going to address various solutions. I, I see a lot of the, that liberal uh, like thought that as you describe falling and blending into a lot of the progressive ideas or, uh, you know, imaginations and representations of what a blue new deal or a green new deal would look like. I know it's largely been championed by, you know, AOC and kind of her compatriots. But like, I'm curious as to what you're speaking about specifically. Essentially, that Africa and the global south is mostly left out of this conversation altogether when we're talking about the Green New Deal. And so whether it's solar power, whether it's, you know, uh, other various uh, technological advan- or advances that are supposed to compensate for our consumptive habits, uh, essentially what's basically left out of the conversation almost altogether in a lot of the articulations that I've seen, uh, whether it be uh, what we what I've seen from AOC or from other progressives or from other Green Party members even and uh, uh, elsewhere, is uh, how those resources are going to get extracted and then what, what that looks like for the countries that they get extracted from. Because uh, all of our green technology is reliant on uh, materials and labor and resources that are primarily found in the global south and then as well as in china uh so that's the general conflict minerals yeah and essentially just uh from the very specific not as much as it used to be sorry about that but that's not necessarily the case anymore we've there's a material science has come a long way in actually building things like solar uh instead of like having glass solar panels there's been research on flexible plastic uh plastic type ones things like that things that don't require as many of the precious minerals and things or uh incredibly environmentally damaging processes used to build them as they once did i just wanted to jump in there real quick i I would say definitely there's improvements but a substantial amount of it is going to have to come from the global cells particularly in the actual elements required for the solar panels themselves as opposed to like for the the actual uh you know active uh, parts of the soil panel as opposed to the general resources as kind of got extracted out of Africa in the first colonization. Go ahead, Brandon. I think your fears are justified first. I think that, you know, a lot of times uh, the the need to change, the need for like rapid social change and rapid, rapid societal change is sometimes foisted on the global south by nature of the global north of, of powers, right? Um, I get it back up. Do you think that the policy, the Green New Deal, as comprised by the Democrats, as sort of proposed by Democrats, goes far enough to, I would say, stem the tide, for lack of a better term? Where I would say it is, is that or the situation at hand is what AOC was basically presenting was uh, making Congress talk about it, like actually put their mind towards resolving the issue instead of. Uh, just leaving it on the back burner and kicking the problem down the road. Uh, so uh, the the specifics of any proposal put forth was just that. The problem I see is that fundamentally and functionally, there's no way to get a green deal, uh, however envisioned, even if, uh, if we were able to articulate one that was uh, conscious of the global south and of, uh, you know, socializing the benefits and uh, making sure that the labor uh, or that there's a lot of socialization in the, or, uh, you know, worker owned products being produced and that that's something that gets utilized and flourishes under a green revolution. Uh, like even if we get the best one, we don't have a political system that's capable of passing that the so long, even if we were able to get it to 
all everybody being a Democrat, everybody having a D next to their name in the political system from Congress all the way up through the president. We there even within the Democratic Party, there's too large of a faction that is too trapped in those neoliberal ideas, as you uh, articulated them earlier, to to get a Green New Deal that would function in the way that we needed to function. And so that's that's why I would argue that like the the Democratic Party as it exists is leading us to our doom. Well, I, I feel shitty saying that a little bit because like as we're speaking, like they're burning fucking um they're burning excess oil in West Virginia because they ran out of pipelines and they're just like fucking burning it because who cares? And like and you know, and that's only because the Trump administration rolled back basically regulations on flaring and all those other sort of you know, the kind of the milk toast environmental policies that have been passed over the past thirty years by Democrats to like basically give the illusion if not actually solve climate change. The big neoliberal kind of albatross that makes this problem kind of unsolvable as we conceptualize problems and solutions nowadays is this idea mm-hmm. that the government can't do anything. Right? You know, when we talk about neoliberalism, sometimes people talk past each other, sometimes people can't necessarily agree on the particular definition, but definitely one part of definition is this idea that that the public sector, the government, can't do anything more efficiently or better than the private market can. Like it, like there's nothing that the private market can't do that the government can do. That like there's something you know there's nothing that the government should do that the private market shouldn't be allowed to do as well mm-hmm. in some capacity. And so this idea of, you know, a problem like climate change, right? So we, again, you know, to distinguish it from other problems, but a problem like climate change that can literally only be solved at the federal level, uh, at the federal international level, it requires treaties, it requires, um, it requires concessions, it requires trade deals, it requires all these various forms of internationalist thinking is just incompatible with our system at this point. <laughs> And so, and, and furthermore, it's, I think of something that Elizabeth Warren said a few, you know, a few months ago now, maybe weeks, I don't, I don't know, time has no meaning, um, where she was just like, we have to, you know, essentially where we have to balance saving the climate with capitalism, with, the, with sort of like the capitalist imperatives of the private market. Just that phrasing right now means we're all going to die. It's like point blank. Like, like there is no balancing those things. Um, you know, you can make switching the green technologies profitable. You know, you can just give tax subsidies out. You can do all of these things, but there is no real way to balance the climate and corporations' desire for profit because that's just like, they're incompatible at this point. And unless you can admit that, hey, you know what? This is a thing that we have to do, no matter how much it upsets donors, no matter how much it upsets the people who kind of pull our strings or else we will die, like you're, you're, you find yourself at an impasse. Like people can, mm-hmm. you know, stop. The only personal choice that people can make that will literally save the climate is if everyone fucking killed themselves. Then yeah, okay. Then we, we we can establish like a, a fucking Hunger Games. Then we we could do Which, like the I battle. Mean, considering like self deportation and some of the other ideas that have been floating around, it's like I mean, it's it's something I could think would get kicked around at a cocktail party and maybe not as sarcastically as it should be. So here's the thing, though, just real quick, because I do want to bring this up because there is, I guess I have two points here. One, that if we're talking about progressive progressives in America, you may as well be talking about a liberal, as far as I'm concerned. You can't be a progressive in the capitalist, and that's all progressive. progressivism really means in the American political context is that we're progressive capitalists in that we want to kind of make everybody wealthy. It's just, it's, it's just more bullshit labeling. No, there's no American left and outside of really communists. Let's just be real. But to your earlier point, though, uh, about the idea that we have to exploit the global south more in order to make things like solar panels and stuff like that. In the in the time you were talking, I actually went and found a research paper uh, titled Near Infrared Harvesting Transparent Luminescent Solar Concentrators, in which what they do is they have basically what looks like a regular pane of glass. And inside of it, there are organic salts mm-hmm. that act as photovoltaic cells. So photovoltaic cells, for those who don't know, are cells that take take energy from the sun and they turn that into electricity. And what they've actually done is they've made it so that way all visible, the visible spectrum of light passes through that glass and it's all the other spectrums of light that are picked up and then turned into, turned into electricity. This is something that you can make without having to exploit the global south. And that's something that people outside of 
the science community, and again, I'm not a material scientist, I'm not a chemist, I'm a mathematician, a physicist. That is more of my area of understanding. However, outside of the scientific community, people aren't talking about these things in part because it's not profitable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. People want, yes. like, they want to make it sound like, well, if you're going to get green stuff, then we kind of have to keep doing the colonialism. But the reality is that you don't. There are great strides being made in, in material science right now because people recognize those things. Or things like um, wind energy, for example. People don't like windmills because they're like, well, it, dis- it disturbs the natural landscape. To be real, I'd rather have windmills up than I, as opposed to, you know, burning fields because, or, you know, half the country underwater or some shit like that. But that's just me. You can also put them offshore where there's much, much, much stronger winds, much longer periods of wind. And then you don't even have to see them. I mean, there's so many options that can be done. And the reality is we're not going to hear about them. We're not going to see them implemented because it's not profitable and the people that are in power that have the ability to institute these kinds of things are too busy blowing millionaires to give a shit like that's the reality of the situation not that you know blowing anybody is a problem it's just that these people are selling out humanity to stay in a made-up position of power because it makes them feel important besides besides that point and there also mentions another important point which i think is is critical which is that the exploitation of the global south isn't a necessary outcome it's just a likely one that's just our historical engagement with them where mm-hmm. it's, you know i think that historically speaking we can, of course we could form like a partnership a symbiotic relationship of course we could you know i think like that's like that's a, a thing we, that we have make sense to. to do we For have sure. to right there's like there's no yeah. way to not do that and still keep living but i you know just to touch on what adair was saying i would just mm-hmm. add that you know and i guess this is going to touch on you know a lot of stuff about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Despite she being from the Bronx and I being from Brooklyn, you know, not to... You know, she she was raised out in Queens. What, oh. the, what the fuck is the LL Cool J line? Damn it. Whatever, fuck oh. He's from the Bronx, too. Fuck him, too. Um, Nobody cares because East Coast rap is trash. Wow. Anyway. Facts. What? Anyway, the point I was going to make is this. I, I don't necessarily fully agree with it there. I think that the American left has been a lot, a, a large for a large portion of the, the recent to you know mid history has been smothered in its nascency. Right, it's been mm-hmm. unable to kind of crystallize into a coherent form and mostly operates in sort of a, a sort of short term reactive way, which is typical of all of our politics. And by that I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when you look the way we at the colloquial level, right? I think a lot of people spend their time arguing at the theoretical level, like what constitutes socialism, what constitutes communism, what constitutes uh, democratic socialism versus social democracy, whatever. That's, that's mm-hmm. fucking interesting. You know, take it to poli sci, 203, whatever. But at the colloquial level, what constitutes socialism is largely just like milk toast structural reforms. I don't think that's like blasphemous to say, like, you know, what, like what people are advocating for as quote unquote socialism at the national level. So you say you're Bernie, you're Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's like public housing, free healthcare. No one's arguing we should nationalize anything. No one's arguing we should, we should nationalize the energy industry. No one's arguing we, I mean, we should probably. No one's arguing for that. They're, like, they're just like looking at the material deprivation around them, especially people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and they're speaking to solutions to that. They're saying, okay, well, you know what? I see that people are struggling with paying off their college debt. Maybe we should do something about that. And like that's what constitutes socialism. Where I think that kind of fails, where I think that kind of ends up being shallow is when you know you have people who say socialism to me is Medicare for all and and let's say free college tuition. Totally fair. I don't think anyone's gonna like fucking demonize you for thinking that unless they happen to be you know a liberal stand. They're gonna demonize you all day and all night, no matter what you say. Um but that kind of leaves whole chunks of policy areas uncovered. It's like, you know, socialism that is not eco-friendly or international is like, it's, it's, it's just bullshit. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. I mean, like, it's better than what we have now, but that climate change report revealed the, the shallowness of the, I'm going to vote for whoever supports Medicare for all thinking, you know, on the left. Because like that's fine, and you you might have free health care for the next twelve years, but then we'll all be dead. Mm-hmm. And I think, but I will say, I think you know, I think that results, you know, 
Adair kind of maybe is a bit more um, angry about it than I am. But I think that results from the fact that, you know, a lot of the arguing that goes on on the left, especially like in online spaces, is done with people to the further right than we are. Like, it's arguments about, oh, how are we going to have cell phones if we're under communists? Like, the capitalism created cell phones. Like, bosses created cell phones. And people are like, no, like, no labor. Like, duh. <laughs> like, that's, like, that's how it works. Labor creates everything. They, you know, like, employers just profit basic. But, like, oftentimes they're not forced to coalesce with people who have, like, a more coherent policy agendas about certain things. So it ends up being shallow. It's like, I, I you know, I hate to say it, but, like, like this idea of fully automated luxury space communism is the same. If you think cell phones would have the same lifespan, would be composed of the same materials, would be like would look exactly the same under communism as they would under capitalism, then your communism is probably really shitty because it's probably very exploitative. Mm-hmm. You know, of the global south. You know, like how much of your cell phone is like constructed out of conflict minerals? How much of your cell phone is going to be thrown away into a third world country or sorry, a developing nation? You know in one year it's going to end up in a landfill in one year it's like if that's what your communism looks like your communism is really bad and it's also going to destroy the planet you can be a communist pig too because what you hear all the time on the left now is sometimes lobbed as part of bad faith arguments from you know liberals and sometimes as part of more genuine concerns from uh people who belong to sort of marginalized groups is this idea of class reductionism that's not what i want to talk about today that's a different conversation for a different day but what you don't really see a lot of people pay attention to this comes from like the left not having a, a good foothold and power and not having the same kind of apparatuses that you know the center and the far right do when it comes to coming up with like policy agendas is this idea of economic reductionism the idea that you know all of leftist politics can be boiled down to economic solutions and economic problems. And even if those economic problems and those economic solutions are engaged with intersectionally, it still doesn't do justice to the breadth of problems we face in the world. And so like we have to pay more attention to, you know, problems that have less to do explicitly with economics and sometimes less to do with explicitly with identity. You know, the I, obviously there are some racial undertones to climate change, but these things have to be given yeah. more thought. Nah, I think that's that's very important to highlight, and I think uh, it's been that that's a great way of articulating my feelings about the situation and uh, how I've seen it trans uh, transition across all the way to the farthest left, as you say, uh, in the political spectrum. And so it, it's concerning because, like I said, if we don't address this, we're going to die. And it doesn't seem as though we have a solution or a system that can even produce a solution. And and we're working on short time. And so it becomes imperative that those that are at least conscious enough to be aware that there's a problem and of its immediacy, that that we immediately start working towards some sort of solution. And the with the 2020 election coming on, it 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 creates this weird bifurcation in our minds where well if we don't at least elect bernie sanders then our time frame for how long we have to get this working is even shorter but by electing bernie sanders we're going to end up you know still perpetuating and pushing this thing uh, along its course so it's not exact electing bernie sanders isn't a corrective action it's still a stopgap the reality of the situation and one that a lot of american people don't want to recognize is that there's this there's this idea that you know labels in america matter right that if you label yourself especially in politics if you label yourself and you say i am a socialist then inherently you are better morally than everybody else who happens to be to your right either real or imagined the reality is most americans are not socialists and I, that's why I think we really have to start actually getting on people here. And this is why I, which is why I say I don't believe that the the American left is really left. And I say that in terms of you know that political compass. Most people that identify as leftists or progressives or socialists in America are really legitimate centrists. And people that they refer to as centrists are further to the right, and so on and so forth. And it just keeps going like that because our whole political system is so fucking skewed to the right and authoritarian because we're a fascist country, that people use words and don't actually understand what the fuck it is that they're saying. And a lot of these people who claim to be socialists would, would imagine that life would be like, everything would look exactly like it does now. 
under socialism, under uh, communism or socialism or whatever. And that's just not how these things work because we require an exploitative form of communism or socialism or whatever. And that's, these are people that want to solve climate change without having to give anything up. These are people that want to end racism or end colonialism and say, well, these things are great, but aren't willing to recognize that they're living on stolen land and that really what should be done is that everybody should be kicked off and it should be given back to the indigenous folks and we'll figure shit out from there. Like people don't want to recognize their place in the system and the fact that they really deep down want to perpetuate it. They just want to do it with nicer language. And so it's time to stop coddling people. It's time to stop coddling Bernie Sanders fans who are fucking delusional. I was one of your delegates, y'all. Y'all are delusional to the point where I don't even want to engage with most of you because you don't actually give a shit about issues that don't affect you. You care about Medicare for all, sure. You care about free college in theory, sure. But you're not thinking about how does this make society as a whole better and more so, how does this make my individual life better? I don't like these student loans. I don't like going, you know, going into medical debt. And you're right on both counts. But the reality is you cannot try to change a system in ways that will only benefit you or benefit the people within your own country. You have to do it from the ground up. I'm getting tired of this bullshit. And until we recognize something like that, there's no way a Green New Deal is going to pass. Because the only way we actually get a Green New Deal that's actually a new deal is we recognize where we're coming from. We recognize the past uh, you know, past and current colonialism, the fact that we're still going out and committing genocide in countries, we're destabilizing regions, that we're massive polluters and that because of where we live in the space that we occupy and the privilege that that entails, until we actively change, nobody else is going to want to change as well. It has to be a fundamental top to bottom shift. And the people that are out here screaming and arguing about how they're so fucking progressive don't actually give a shit about doing that. They're not invested in it, so it's not going to happen. In the long story, in the long story short, we're all going to fucking die in like twenty years. So fuck it. Like that's that that's the point that I at least personally have come to. I don't see any of these people out here screaming about how they just want to how how a socialist society would be so much better, and their idea of a socialist society is fucking um, Nordic countries, which are social democrats not socialists, but whatever, you know, nothing's going to change. We're all going to die and we're all going to die alone, which makes it that much better. <laughs> I just wish Sadara would tell us how he really felt, but. I mean, that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. Born alone, die alone. Shit. But no, Dan makes a good point. He makes a lot of good points. I don't think I disagree with, I guess, you know, we'll do a um, compliment sandwich. That's where you sandwich a compliment between two pieces of really harsh criticism. And this is, is how we know Chad is very, like, is secretly a white dude. Like, just in case anybody was wondering on Twitter, this is how we know. Confirmation. I went to a lot of white schools. That's why, that's why I say things like compliment sandwich <laughs> and, like, warm and, like, warm and fuzzies. <laughs> and are you down with the swirl? I fucking <laughs> hate I'm, I'm going to edit that part out if I remember. Oh, oh we went there. No, we but I think there. that I, I'm, not, I'm, not so much, I'm not so much of a stickler. Right? I think you have people online who want to argue all day and all night over what constitutes real socialism. I think that for the most part, that is the argument that least resembles anything that people actually, your actual voting public cares about. I think that for the, you know, if I'm critical of the Democratic Party when they do like dumb bullshit political maneuvers, like, oh, you see how much Trump curses them? Like, no one cares. And the adults don't care for their adults curse unless they're stupid. Children care if you curse. So I don't think that your everyday average person, not that you know you should care what your everyday average person is, your everyday person is a fucking dumbass, probably. I know I am. But like I don't think they care about that. I think for the most part, most people's politics are not informed by theory. They're informed by like their material conditions, which cause them to seek out theory sometimes, you know, as part of a, a way to conceptualize material deprivation. Or, you know, you'll say, OK, well, I noticed these problems around me. I'm looking for a framework of analysis to understand them. And sometimes people develop their own frameworks for analysis. And those frameworks tend to be valid. And sometimes they look to outside sources for frameworks of analysis. Um, most of the time, I will say those frameworks are going to be better than your everyday average politician because they're not influenced by moneyed interests, right? You know, I think I, I've always felt that like, you know, your everyday average person probably has instinctually better policy objectives than like your everyday average politician, you know, at the federal or national level in your everyday average kind of elite pundit does. Because like most people, like if you were to ask them something like, hey, do you think people should die in the streets without health care would go no, like, like their snap decision would be no, you know, but for, let's say, 40 years of 
Republican and conservative media indoctrinating them to go, well, it depends if they're a minority, you know, it depends if they're an unwed teenage mother, then maybe they should die in the streets. You know, a la Rush Limbaugh or whatever. I might be putting words in the mouth. I don't know. I don't care. Ron Paul had a famous moment with that. You gotta, you gotta love Rand and Ron Paul. You know, Rand Paul famously named after uh, not Ayn Rand, the asshole and terrible writer, but Rand McNally, the map makers. Uh, so, I mean, it's like whether or not something is actually socialism or not doesn't appeal to me. The problem becomes when people kind of use that experiential framework for deciding what socialism or whatever means to them, and they don't necessarily understand that like, your experiences are not the end-all be-all of like what constitutes what's important for our generation everyone has a story that can kind of be attributed to like the failures of capitalism being unemployed having to kind of pay out of pocket for huge medical costs um having to pay an obscene amount of student debt everyone can tell you a horror story about capitalism right so we can all kind of commiserate about that but when it comes to the environment, I don't think we're not really taught to draw the patterns that I think people would need to draw to make that a, a useful framework for analysis, like you know, at least experientially thinking. So, like, you know, we don't like, we don't talk about all of the effects of climate change. Like, like, what are the actual material effects of climate change and what they mean for things that we suppose that we care about, right? I, I you know I, I saw Ocasio Cortez do this recently, but you know, really really nailing home that like, hey, you know what, like those wildfires that displaced 20,000 people in California, that's climate change. Um, all these, you know, formerly once a century storms that are happening every week, that's climate change. Well, I think part of the problem is, yeah. is that a lot of it's happening outside of the country and not to mention, I mean, obviously the media trying or various uh, interests trying to downplay it, but like Mongolia, for example, uh, the capital city of Mongolia has worse pollution than you've seen in China or on any uh, other thing that you've seen. And it's because uh, of climate change killing the their herds and they're being forced to move into all into a city and then power and then heating their homes in sub-zero temperatures with coal. And so there's a thick coal haze that puts the uh, uh, whatever the PPM for 2.5 nanometer particles, which are like the most dangerous and are supposed to be at 20, a rating of 25. Uh, they regularly see over three to four ratings, over three to 400 and upwards of 600 uh uh, on a semi-regular basis and it can get worse than that so it, it's literally it's killing it's killing people and but because people don't make the associations to make the connections like you said i think uh it doesn't allow them to make that framework but there's a bunch of points i just wanted to touch on quickly before i forget with adair i feel adair's anger and I, i'm there with it and i appreciate your analysis on the situation and how you describe uh what what's happening and uh i'm i can't help but wonder then what is for myself uh, uh i'm i'm doing studying on theory i'm going to be reading our red pedagogy of the oppressed and i think uh, a lot of what you guys talking about plays into what uh, i'm gonna be talking about on that uh but what does that mean for people that want to to do something where where, where does that leave them to go which directions what, what's what's a rational plan of action because I, I like i said i feel adair's anger and i know that there's people online that'll argue all day about what theory means but uh, i feel this is kind of a noah's strong wheelhouse uh, as far as putting those ideas and uh, the theory and that anger and combining that with actions that affect material change so how, how, what does that look like for people or for yourselves or in your minds well, I mean, I'll, I'll just say first thing, the capital of Mongolia is Ulaanbaatar. Yeah, I wasn't going to try that. I'm only I'm only saying that because like I just happen to know the capital of Mongolia off the top of my head. <laughs> it's Ulaanbaatar and it's a uh, 400, I want to say 400 kilometers uh, south of Irkutsk in Russia. Anyway, we got to understand like all the barriers that are in the way of solving climate change right before we so and one of those barriers is that we have like yet to reckon with the fact that modernity has not i want to say failed like but it's not all it's cracked up to be and by that i mean we've yet to kind of understand that not every problem has a technological solution and by technological i mean like high tech like geoengineering or living on mars or, you know, dimming the sun 
it's like we've yet to kind of grapple with that some problems, you know, much like racism, like sexism, there's no way to solve with a gadget or an app on our phone or even something even, you know, slightly less tech, like, like, like an electric car. There's no way to solve those problems that way. Because that kind of fits into our narratives about progress in society and how problems are solved. And that's why you see people kind of elevate these quote unquote thinkers and like entrepreneurs like Elon Musk online. You know, he is supposed to be the pseudo messiah of this technological revolution that is going to, you know, lead us out of the climate apocalypse into this new age of, I guess, electric cars in what else? And like, I guess space exploration. Yeah, because like that's what you see in the movies, and that's kind of what you saw. Like, left in, in the tubes. In the tubes. The tubes. Right? That's what you see in the movies. That's how they solve problems in science fiction. But really, this idea that some problems just require whole scale societal change from like all levels, like not only technological but infrastructural. Like the way our the way our cities and countries are designed is antithetical to solving climate. They ain't ready for what we about to bring back. They ain't ready for China with the green hat. They ain't ready for the Wang Sat niggas. Fuck is niggas talking about, nigga. We gonna die, legend. I hope you stacking. I hope you putting some money to the side, my nigga, and paying your taxes. Yeah. I hope you not incriminating you and your niggas on songs if you trapping. I hope you dressing yourself and not following niggas' opinions on fashion. I hope them cars that you driving ain't rented just to get some comments on gram. Oh shit, they all because you not the man. No self esteem, hotter than lame. Zan every meal. You fucking weak and you robbing your plug. You ain't got no plan, but I'm not here to judge. Cause apparently you doing your thing. I know they see me. Your pants got a flood, little bit Katrina. Oh, you wearing Vans and Supreme Caesar. Stop lying to yourself, nigga. Me the reason. Some nice sounds. <laughs> this little groupie went to pipe now. Uh, she eating coochie kind of dyke now. Uh, got a new dirt bike, wild. And it meant to go cart, go skirt now. Talk your shit. I really want the La Ferrari. Shit. Can you know the price down? Keyboard clutch across my path, catch my first check and said, Fuck the press, nigga. Nigga, what you stand for? Everybody lean, everybody gang, no. Nigga, you a new slave, but my old one, thanks to Ben Yang, still walk around with chains on. Like, you ain't seen no shit like mine. You ain't seen no dick like mine. <laughs> Pause. They dead weight, them niggas useless neck Handle like a motherfucking bad news Thanks to Ben Baller walking with a hunchback I got a new white one that I work hard for So the doors on my car doing jump jacks My big bro Frankie got a Porsche My little brother Taco got a beam up If you see them around me, they eat And we all good, it's like FEMA But of course Get money, nigga, get money Why you funny looking niggas back the fuck up